0: Welcome to the Blockchain Podcast, episode 1313. I'm your host, retired Lieutenant Colonel Bill Stebbins, planner, strategist, Bitcoin enthusiast. And in this episode, I have a lot for you to think about today. So we're going to cover many topics. Let's get right into it. The first little tidbit that I want to start off with today is I'm going to read you a little bit from a book. A book called or entitled The Sovereign Individual, Mastering the Transition to the Information Age. This is a book written by James Dale Davidson and Lord William Reese Mogg. And it was written in 1997, so this is well within the dot-com bubble. The period of time with internet technologies emerging, dot-com startups. Uh, This is a bit before the 2007-2008 financial uh, implosion, you might call it, that event that motivated Satoshi Nakamoto to create and then launch the Bitcoin protocol. And uh, amongst Bitcoin Enthusiasts, this book, The Sovereign Individual is widely quoted, widely referred to. And the authors, James Dale Davidson, he edited a strategic investment newsletter for many years. Um, he's a venture capitalist and was an entrepreneur. He had investments in Argentina, Brazil, Bolivia, Peru, New Zealand, Reese Mogg, his co-author, was formerly editor of the Times of London. He was vice chairman of the BBC and a director of the Private Bank of London. And so together they teamed up. They wrote three books together. In this one, the sovereign individual had some pretty interesting forecasts of what they saw coming on the horizon. And I'd like to read to you one paragraph, one section of it, to see whether what they wrote in 1997 sounds in any way familiar to you now. And so I'm starting from page 24. And this is a section called The Revenge of the Nations. The state has grown used to treating its taxpayers as a farmer treats his cows, keeping them in a field to be milked. Soon, the cows will have wings. Like an angry farmer, the state will no doubt take desperate measures at first to tether and hobble its escaping herd. It will employ covert and even violent means to restrict access to liberating technologies. Such expedients will work only temporarily, if at all. The 20th century nation state, with all its pretensions, will starve to death as its tax revenues decline. And so we'll stop right there for a moment. It's a very interesting opening few lines from this section of the sovereign individual. The state indeed seems to treat us like a bunch of cows that it's milking, that we're here for it. Not it here for us to protect us, to make us secure, to ensure liberty and freedom for us. But indeed, we we are seen as a cows kept in a fill a field to be milked. Soon the cows will have wings. They they wrote, and you know, Bitcoin seems to have provided a number of us cows with with digital wings, with Bitcoin wings. Perhaps we're Bitcoin bovines now. But it's interesting that they said it will employ covert and even violent means to restrict access to liberating technologies. Okay, so let's go on. When the state finds itself unable to meet its committed expenditure by raising tax revenues... It will resort to other, more desperate measures. Among them is printing money. Governments have grown used to enjoying a monopoly over currency that they could depreciate at will. This arbitrary inflation has been a prominent feature of the monetary policy of all 20th century states. As we explore later, inflation is revenue option will be largely foreclosed by the emergence of cyber money. New technologies will allow the holders of wealth to bypass the national monopolies that have issued and regulated money in the modern period. Indeed, the credit crises that swept through Asia, Russia, and other emerging economies in 1997 and 1998 attest to the fact that national currencies and national credit ratings are anachronisms inimical to the smooth operation of the global economy. It is precisely the fact that the demands of sovereignty require all transactions within a jurisdiction to be denominated in a national currency that creates the vulnerability to mistakes by central bankers and attacks by speculators, which precipitated deflationary crises in one jurisdiction after another. In the information age, Individuals will be able to use cyber currencies and thus declare their monetary independence. When individuals can conduct their own monetary policies over the World Wide Web, it will matter less, or not at all, that the state continues to control the industrial-era printing presses. Their importance for controlling the world's wealth will be transcended by mathematical algorithms that have no physical existence. In the new millennium, cyber money controlled by private markets will supersede fiat money issued by governments. Only the poor will be victims of inflation and ensuing collapses into deflation that are consequences of the artificial leverage which fiat money injects into the economy. I don't know about you, but as I'm reading this, it's like, holy smokes. What kind of crystal ball were these folks looking into? just amazing and so let me continue and here's the punchline here's the real prognostication they had for the future lacking their accustomed scope to tax and inflate governments even in traditionally civil countries will turn nasty as income tax becomes uncollectible order and more arbitrary methods of exaction will resurface the ultimate form of withholding tax, de facto or even overt hostage-taking, will be introduced by governments desperate to prevent wealth from escaping beyond their reach. Unlucky individuals will find themselves singled out and held to ransom in an almost medieval fashion. Businesses that offer services that facilitate the realization of autonomy by individuals will be subject to infiltration Sabotage and disruption. Arbitrary forfeiture of property, already commonplace in the United States where it occurs 5,000 times a week, will become even more pervasive. Governments will violate human rights, censor the free flow of information, sabotage useful technologies, and worse. For the same reasons that the late, departed Soviet Union tried in vain to suppress access to personal computers and Xerox machines, Western governments will seek to suppress the cyber economy by totalitarian means. Look, when I read that, all I can say is, wow. Were they not dead on? So many of the things that I just wrote, read... From their passage there, have you not seen these things already in action, precisely as Davidson and Reese Mogg predicted? And so I would commend this book to you. Again, The Sovereign Individual. Authors James Dale Davidson and Lord William Reese Mogg. Uh, Very well worth your while to read that book. Very thought-provoking. Many other ideas in there that are relevant and apropos as you contemplate Bitcoin and the Bitcoin economy and, and the future of the United States and where we're going. I don't subscribe to all of their theses, all of their points. that they, they come at uh, power, politics, economy from a Darwinian perspective, and, and I, I don't buy into a Darwinian constructs. Uh, however, many of the things that they do postulate I am aligned with. It's well worth a read. And, of course, I read many things, not just things that I agree with. I like to read widely and read many things I disagree with. But their book, The Sovereign Individual, well worth your time invested to read that book. Uh, Their conclusion, uh, which I largely do not agree with, is that, and, and you can see it from the title of the book, The Sovereign Individual is that by and large, individuals who understand the trajectory of future trends will be able to liberate themselves that that essentially the nation-state will dissolve, will will be less powerful, and the sovereignty of individuals will explode and bloom. I think that's a a bit off base. I think that's a a bit hyper-optimistic, and I, I, I don't agree with that. Nevertheless, they've done an incredible service to all of us with their book, Well Worth the So That's the sovereign individual. Going back to one of their earlier sentences, when the state finds itself unable to meet its committed expenditure by raising tax revenues, it will resort to other, more desperate measures. Among them is printing money. We would say not necessarily printing money, but creating money, creating money out of thin air. And, of course, they've been doing this for quite some time. This is nothing new. And fiat-addicted nations like ours, they walk that thin, dangerous razor's edge, walking that line between raising taxes and trying to fill the coffers through taxes and also, at the same time, creating money. If they create too much money, if they're not careful, what we've seen with many other nations is it will engender hyperinflation. And hyperinflation signals the beginning of the end with the implosion of a nation. We've seen this with several other nations. By some counts, there's been about 60 hyperinflation events in modern fiat history and so they have to be careful when they increase the money supply but have they been careful I would argue that they absolutely have not since January 2020 80% of all US dollars in existence were created it was four trillion dollars in January 2020 It was then increased all the way to $20 trillion in October 2021. And so many folks are very concerned because they have seemed to have lost the capacity to control themselves in the quantity of money that they create so quickly. You may have also noted in the news this week, Fitch... One of three major credit rating agencies this week downgraded uh, the U.S. government's credit rating from AAA score, the highest score, to AA+. They have downgraded it. The only other time that this has ever happened to the United States was during President Obama's uh, presidency, August 5th of 2011 when there was a similar national budget conflict that was resolved at the last minute. That was the first time it occurred. It now has occurred again. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, she disagreed with the rating, saying, quote, it's arbitrary and based on outdated data. However, Fitch cited the federal government's rising debt burden and the political difficulties that the U.S. government has had in addressing spending and tax policies. This is reading from Fortune Magazine's online version. Um, Fitch said its decision reflects the expected fiscal deterioration over the next three years. A high and growing general government debt burden and the erosion of governance compared with other countries with similar debt ratings. So this is not good news for the United States. The second time in its history that one of these three major credit agencies has downgraded the United States credit score. And so things are not looking that good for the U.S. economy, for the forecast for the U.S. economy. Going back to the sovereign individual and quoting them again, governments will violate human rights, censor the free flow of information, sabotage useful technologies, and worse. So about censoring the free flow of information. Once again, YouTube is back up to its apparent censoring again at the behest of the state, apparently. Um, Why do I say that? This last week, three different Bitcoin crypto channels were censored on YouTube yet again. And you might recall about a year ago, Anthony Pompliano, his channel, The Pomp, it was taken off YouTube, reinstated later, but it was taken off with no warning at all. Well, just this week... The channel of Max Kaiser, uh, Bitcoin advisor to the President Naib Bukele of El Salvador, and his co-host, Stacy Herbert, they had hundreds of hours of content, without warning, suddenly removed off their YouTube channel. Uh, what kind of content? It was content that was anti-establishment, that was critical of the state. And it was removed. It's still not reinstated. And two other Bitcoin crypto channels were removed without warning. And they were told that the decision is final, they will not be reinstated. One was called Crypto News Yes. And the second channel was the content of an individual in Bulgaria named Plamen Andonov. Uh, Plamen was the planner of the Bulgarian Bitcoin conference in Bulgaria, and his YouTube channel was purged. And so we have this censoring of the free flow of information. It's happening every day. Every week we see more and more examples of this. So important for us to migrate, to migrate our information, to migrate our content to free speech platforms, to those platforms which are more than others are ensuring that individuals will be able to have the right to free speech and put content out there. Nothing is more fundamental to freedom and liberty. Without the free flow of information, you never would have heard about Bitcoin. You never would have learned that there was a liberating technology that enables you to opt out of the current fiat currency monetary system. Knowledge is absolutely power, and those who are in power and wielding power inordinately and inappropriately wish to deprive you of this power base, which is information. And this is why censorship always occurs in tyrannies and dictatorships. Censorship of information, we should always and need to always fight it tooth and nail. Otherwise, the war is lost. Speaking of wars lost, a quick update on the massacre in Ukraine, or I might even call it the NATO genocide in Ukraine. And why am I calling it that? Reports keep emerging if you dig deep enough that the actual Casualty counts of the conflict in Ukraine Are that Ukraine has lost approximately 300,000 to 400,000 dead 300 to 400,000 dead in Russians about 40,000 dead These are some of the best estimates that we have at this point point. and how big a number in the study of warfare is three hundred to four hundred thousand dead. I would ask you over twelve years fighting in Vietnam, how many casualties, how many deaths did we have? And you may recall or may have heard about or may have read about how contentious the Vietnam War was as it progressed, the wounds that it left this nation, the the questions that it, Instigated as we looked at as a nation, why did we even enter into this war in Vietnam and how is this pushed upon us? 12 years of fighting in Vietnam, we had approximately 58,300 deaths. 58,300 compared to in Ukraine now, 300,000. On the low end, 400,000 on the higher end. Can you even grasp that magnitude? So despite everything you've been told on other outlets, uh, all these Washington think tanks, all these military experts that are weighing in with these grandiose theories and prognostications of how we're going to do, all these NATO sympathizers, these nato files who are so excited over the NATO mission and what NATO has done over the years, um, all of the mouthpieces of the military-industrial complex, the $140 billion plus, and we don't know how much it is, you know, they have accounting errors. And so a billion here, a billion there amongst friends, it doesn't matter. But over $140 billion and all the assurances, from all these professors of war, these strategists of war, these aficionados and experts of warfare, um, no counteroffensive to speak of. There, it, 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 maybe it started with a whimper and went out with a, a puff, but there's no counteroffensive. It's over. We have U.S. boots on the ground. Uh, Of course, they're not operating in a military capacity. They're not actually fighting. We're always told this, you know, every time we go into places, uh, they're just in an advisory capacity. They're just uh, extracting lessons learned so we can learn how to uh, fail other wars that we get into, like Iraq and Afghanistan. Collect a bunch of lessons learned so we can make sure uh, to know how not to win wars because this is our trend since World War II. Zero wars, uh, one. Regardless of the reasons for getting involved in a conflict, we can never win them. Um, But but we have boots on the ground, and now we've stooped so low as to give cluster munitions to Ukraine. Cluster munitions, which are, are singularly unimpressive, singularly ineffective on a modern battlefield, on a maneuver, modern battlefield. What they only do at the end of the day is really wreak havoc amongst the civilian population when all is said and done in the conflict and, and during the conflict as well. So many other nations of the world have pledged not to use cluster munitions because they have no real significant military value. And yet, here we are uh, on the self-proclaimed moral high ground. The moral high ground with NATO standing on the peak with us. And we are giving Ukraine cluster munitions. Aren't we proud of ourselves? To Zelensky, the sealess comedian, comedian... Uh, playing his role as a, as a wartime leader. Wartime leader. He, I mean, you can watch his c uh entertainment flaccid series on Netflix if, if you have nothing better to do with your time. You can look at the, the captions there and, and see this comedian turned wartime hero, apparently. He ran on a peace program. Peace with Russia program, well, he's halting all elections. He's stated that there will be no elections in Ukraine until the war is over. Uh, I would offer, with three to 400,000 dead already and climbing every day, uh, this war will not be over in any kind of a productive, useful, beneficial way for Ukraine. I would argue that what we're going to see is a Ukraine that's gutted, a Ukraine that has been bled of the vast majority of its men, and in many cases, boys, as we also have reports that they've been sending out press gangs. The Ukrainian war machine has been going in public places trying to find Uh, young men and forcibly sending them to the front lines so that they can also go into the meat grinder. And so now all of this debate over will Ukraine be admitted into NATO? If so, how soon will it be admitted to NATO? I would suggest to you that uh, this argument has no legs now because there essentially will be no Ukraine to be admitted into NATO. They have suffered so many casualties and so much destruction that essentially Putin has achieved an incredible victory. He has achieved at a low relative casualty ratio. He's achieved a lot of his aims right now. One of the aims was keeping Ukraine out of an encroaching, ever-expanding, NATO and essentially there will be no Ukraine no viable Ukrainian state to enter into NATO our nation our political leaders in scuttling the peace talks that were that were viable that were ready to occur we have condemned Ukraine to oblivion now but this isn't the only place in the world that our amateurish conceded statesmanship is failing. We look in the continent of Africa, almost in the center of the continent-ish. Former French colony, the nation of Niger, recently experienced a military junta, a coup d'etat, by a general named Chiani, who deposed President Bazoum And so despite all the millions and millions and millions of dollars of U.S. aid and financial assistance in the global war on terror in these African countries, we've been seeing junta after junta, coup after coup in Burkina Faso, in Mali, and now here in Niger. And so during this global war on terror after 9-11, the mission creep and the great expansion of our adventures overseas included investing millions of dollars, as well as troops to combat radical Islam and ISIS and ISIL. These groups, uh, significantly, uh, there were groups and continue to be in Africa, radical Islamic groups in Africa, as our State Department would categorize them. And yet in this case, which is similar to the other cases, the leader of the junta, General Chiani, explained his reasons for the junta, saying that security conditions in in the country of Niger have just absolutely deteriorated, and that radical Islamists are taking over large swaths of the, of the nation, and that there's been no improvement despite all of the Western investment and military assistance. Now, how can this be? How is this even possible, if, if, if this is true at all in any way, shape, or form? Well, let me explain it to you. This is the pattern that you'll see again and again. During this global war on terror, in these western colonies, in these areas where we're purportedly fighting radical Islamic terrorist groups, often these nations that have specific resources that we're interested in, for example, Niger, has deposits of uranium. It's a big uranium producer. But what we'll do in the global war on terror is we will allocate a substantial sum of financial aid, and it goes through the dictator in charge. Okay, we can call the leader of these nations, we can call him a president or whatever, but the finances go through them, and a large, significant portion of that aid gets siphoned off gets siphoned off. We saw it in Iraq. We see it in Afghanistan. We saw it, we see it everywhere where we go. There is no accountability for the taxpayer money that we spend in these areas, for the reason that we send the money into these areas. And so the leader in charge gives the nod to Washington. Okay, I'm, uh, I'm your man. And they siphon off uh, so much of this aid So it doesn't go to fight the terrorists. It doesn't go to help the country at all. It goes into the pockets of the leader. And so from time to time then, and what you're seeing is, military leaders of these nations at some point finally get fed up with it and overthrow the crony president, overthrow the corrupt leader who's pocketing all of this Western aid. And this is what we're seeing now. But, of course, what you're being told right now is uh, General Chiani's bad. His rebels are bad. Uh, the president, Bazoum, he's good. He was trying to fight terrorism. The conflict is made very simple for you in the mainstream media, just like Ukraine. With Ukraine, Putin bad, NATO good. Putin bad, Zelensky good, Zelensky a hero. Um, real simple. Don't dig any deeper for yourself. These issues are just binary, very simple to understand. A bad side and a good side, and of course, we're on the good side. And so this is what's occurring in Niger. And General Chiani has requested, asked for Wagner Group assistance. You'll recall Wagner Group is that semi-mercenary group that works for Putin, that staged uh, purportedly a coup, which turned out, and I mentioned that in this podcast, that it was anything but a coup. It wasn't a coup at all. There was no coup with Brugosian versus Putin. And now General Chiani is asking for Wagner Group assistance to stabilize the country. And so, again, once again, Russians are bad. Wagner Group is bad. This General Chiani is bad. And, and, and the poor president bazoom who was ousted that's the good guy and we 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 have no reports right now and of course we won't have them for years or a year It'll, it'll be a while before we find out just what was really going on in this country where all the money really was going to and you know we won't get that context for quite some time well we can't have this so victoria newland the acting deputy, deputy Secretary of State. Well, she makes a, a, a trip to Niger, and by golly, she's going to make things very clear where the United States stands, and if you don't iron this thing out and, and reinstate President Bazoum, financial aid will be stopped. Well, guess what? She gets to Niger, and she was denied audience by President Bazoum and also by General Chiani. None of those two would even meet with her. She was iced. You see, our clout worldwide is plummeting. She wouldn't even be seen. And the message is, General Chiani could care less whether the United States halted financial aid, this economic aid, this military aid, that's been going into the pockets of the president, ostensibly, and his well-seated political friends. It's not like it was going to the mission at hand in stabilizing the country, making the country a little better for the people. And so it's no loss there. Further, the world is starting to pivot now and turn from the United States. They don't want U.S. money anymore. They're pivoting to Russia. They're pivoting to China. Such are the effects of our genius statesmanship that's been occurring as of late. And so this leads me to my last topic of this podcast, and that is the threat of nuclear war. What is the possibility of nuclear war, something going wrong with a conflict in Ukraine, Russia being pushed just too far, getting too desperate, and popping off one or two tactical nukes that then serves as a springboard for the United States retaliating in kind, and next thing you know, the world engulfed in a nuclear summer. I think that this possibility is very, very low, I am not very concerned about nuclear war, and I'll tell you why. Number one, I don't think Putin is desperate. W- what is he desperate of? He is winning the war in Ukraine. 300,000 to 400,000 deaths of Ukrainians. He's he clearly winning this war. He's hollowing out the Ukrainian country. There will be only a ghost of a country left. Uh, That's not going to be a very viable NATO partner. He's achieved his goal. And so he's not cornered. He's, He's not dying of cancer. He's not vulnerable to a coup. He's not facing incredible pressure from his Russian people at home so he's not desperate he's already outmaneuvered the West NATO the United States for that matter Russia and China they understand the repercussions of an escalated nuclear war they understand that they'd be affected as much if not more than us and so they're not stupid But they've already outmaneuvered us. See, they knew that they couldn't defeat us militarily. And so they never intended to engage us on the field of battle in some type of conventional warfare. They knew that they couldn't defeat us in that way. They knew that they couldn't defeat us necessarily economically. So what did they do? They began working on the Trojan horse. They began working on finding sleazy, ambitious politicians with weak or or non-existent moral fiber. If they could identify these ambitious ones and buy them off, pay them off, bribe them off, make them beholden to their policies. If they could sow to their unconditional unrestrained personal greed get dirt on them well that would serve their interests in a far more powerful far more effective way and as America continued to slide into greater and greater moral degeneracy the last couple of decades viable candidates to target to betray their own country became so much more numerous So many more candidates for bribery. And eventually, their extensive campaign of bribery paid off and was eminently successful. And you're seeing this play out in the news now. They have outmaneuvered us masterfully. See, Russia never had to invade deeply into Ukraine and occupy it. See, we didn't learn that lesson We invaded nations tied to Al-Qaeda and those not in any way tied to Al-Qaeda and occupied them for 20 years and lost and hemorrhaged out blood and treasure. But Russia, Putin didn't have to do that. You occupy the periphery of the nation of Ukraine. You have some penetration of it. And then you coax Ukraine into the meat grinder into King Kong's pencil sharpener. And Russia began grinding away at at Ukraine. All the American strategic geniuses, all the operational geniuses, would contemplate what Russia needed to do next, that they were going to occupy Kiev, uh, that they wouldn't be able to do so, on and on. All their prognostications were false, turned out to be garbage, Russia occupied the periphery, made modest incursions into Ukraine, and allowed Ukrainians to impale themselves. And at a casualty ratio of 1 to 10, one Russian soldier for 10 Ukrainians is a general figure. Putin rightly estimated that he could absorb that easily. And that it was well worth the cost to neutralize a potential new NATO adversary on his border. And so now, in every week that advances, there is no viable Ukraine to now join NATO. It's a moot point. It's over. It's a checkmate. Number two, Putin has served in that the rest of Europe. The rest of NATO is put on notice. Russia has not fallen. Putin has not been overthrown. The West wildly miscalculated to include all of the general officers, all of the advisors, all of the American military think tanks and their grandiose ideas and conceptualizations and models of war, which are all wrong and self-deceptive. Russia has neutralized Ukraine. Russia has put Europe and NATO on notice of what can occur in the future. Number three, the clout of the United States is drastically reduced now as a result of this horrid, myopic, naive statesmanship. Our clout is drastically reduced and we have now many nations De-dollarizing, moving away from the dollar as the world is the global reserve currency. Victoria Newland goes to Niger and can't get any respect. And then we have the BRICS coalition expanding with many nations wanting now to join BRICS to include Mexico on our border. And Russia just keeps amassing resources to include uranium. The ruble, despite all of the prognostications that the ruble was going to implode and collapse, the ruble did not implode, as the experts told us to expect. The Russian economy did not implode. Sanctions on Russia had no discernible effect. And now Russia, as well as China, they have expanding influence in Africa and the Middle East. China has exponentially increasing influence in Mexico on our southern border. And so Russia has masterfully played the meat grinder. And our leaders, civilians and military alike, are too self-deceived, arrogant, and ignorant to realize that they've been had. It's over. It's done. And this is what lust does. Lust for power, lust for wealth. It blinds and it distorts your faculties. You rationalize what you're doing in your quest for power and wealth. And you come up with these incredibly grandiose ideas. Well, that's my assessment here in the second week of August, 2023. And isn't it tremendous to know that even with the world as crazy and chaotic as it seems to be, and so uncertain the economy seems to be at this point, that you can still, nevertheless, at this time, you have the option to opt out of the system in whatever degree that you wish to and stack SATs to buy Bitcoin, to place your wealth in a cyber vault that cannot be touched by war, by famine, by government, by criminal. That can give you some reassurance. That can give you some hope. And I would encourage you to continue to touch grass, to be positive, to not give in to incredible pessimism and cynicism. There are many times throughout human history where the prevailing political, prevailing governmental trends are not pleasant. But this at no time means that our happiness, our joy should be stolen. Even in the midst of less than optimal times, we can have great happiness. And so I'd encourage you to be positive, to continue to study and learn and think critically and carefully about the issues of the day. So thanks for entertaining some ideas that I had today. I appreciate uh, the time that you spend with me. If you find this in any way interesting, or insightful, I would appreciate you sharing this podcast with others. And until I talk with you again, the best of health and to always attack. This is Colonel Stebbins out.